afternoon. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I'm Susie Larson, and this is Live the Promise, and we are here to help you engage in a strong and active walk of faith. Really glad you tuned in today. A very happy Wednesday to you. Well, if you listen often enough, you know there are certain guests that we have on every single month because we love them, you love them, and they just bring such amazing content to us. Well, today we get to hear from our good friend Liz Curtis Higgs. She joins us every month for Redemption Stories. Just a heads up, tomorrow is another one of those monthly features, and that's with Dr. Troy, Health and Healing with Dr. Troy. So get your questions about health and healing ready for tomorrow because that's another great show up ahead. Before we get Lizzie on today to finish or continue, I should say, our conversation about her book, The Women of Easter, which we love. Um, I'm going to get her on in a minute. A couple quick announcements. One of these announcements actually pertains to Lizzie. And that is our upcoming Northwestern Christian Writers Conference. This is a first ever. We are praying, Lord willing, that this would be an annual thing. We really believe it will be. We also believe it's going to be one of the anchor Christian Writers Conferences in the nation. And you're already proving that because it, what, what month are we in right now? We're in March, right? And the conference takes place in July. And we've already got about 350 people signed up. So I'm super excited. And the reason this pertains to Lizzie is she is our keynote speaker this year. We're also bringing an a faculty experts, editors, agents, different people that can help you take next steps in your writing career. If you've got a dream to be published, if you're curious about it, check it out. We've got a website designated specifically for the conference, NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com. I do know there's still some faculty one-on-one appointments left, so if you want to sign up, because those are limited. We, I think we could accommodate a 1,000 people at this conference, but the, the appointments are limited uh, a limited number. So check it out, NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com. Okay, let me tell you about my guest. We'll bring her on the show, though I don't really think she needs an introduction. Liz Curtis Higgs is author of 34 books with, listen to this, 4.6 million copies in print. She's spoken at more than 1,700 women's conferences around the globe. She and her husband, novelist Bill Higgs, live in Kentucky. And as always, we're honored to have her join us today. Dear Lizzie, welcome back to the show. Always, always, always a blessing to be with you. Hmm. Well, I'm excited. You know, and you and I, it seems we hop around the country at different times, and you just recently spoke at an event that I've been at before, and different people emailed me and said, I see why you love her so much. And I'm like, I oh. told you. <laughs> so you had a good time, I presume. So I'm excited. That In I'm Wisconsin, oh, my goodness, those girls were amazing. And, uh, yes, uh, and I have to tell you, when I got up, I said, you know, um, as an a way of introducing myself, I said, I love Susie Larson. Can we be friends? <laughs> and they were just like, yay! Oh, so you were, you opened some doors for me there. They oh, said, right. well, if, you know, if this woman likes Susie, then she must be okay. Yeah, but, like you um, needed Yeah, that. we had a great time. And you and I get to be together um, in Lincoln, Illinois. Exactly. That's coming up as well. So that's going to be yeah. great, great fun. Thanks to you, Lizzie. So you know, because we do this every month, we talk scripture. And I'm wondering if you've got a verse that's just been uh, on your heart these days you can share with us. Uh, well, what I'm looking at as we're going to be talking about it today is Jesus on the way to the cross. And I just want you to think about this. Stopped and said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. I think it's not just the verse itself, Luke twenty three twenty eight, but the fact that Jesus, on the way to the cross, stopped to speak with these women is 
amazing. Unbelievable. That he saw them, that he addressed them, and he was thinking about them, not about himself. He didn't say, pray for me. This is hard. He was praying for them. Mm, that truly is amazing. And we're going to get more context around that moment for Jesus as we unpack Lizzie's beautiful book. It's called The Women of Easter, Encountered the Savior with Mary of Bethany, Mary of Nazareth, and Mary Magdalene. And Waterbrook, her publisher, has been so generous. As we've been walking through this book each month, they give us three copies each month. So again, we've got three copies of this gorgeous hardcover book. Email if you want some amazing reading this Lent season. Susie at MyFaithRadio.com. Every single day I see uh, Susie spelt wrong, so I just want to say again, Susie, two S's, S-U-S-I-E, Susie at MyFaithRadio.com. Dot com. Okay, Lizzie, give us a little background context on Mary of Nazareth, if you would. Uh, Mary, well, we met her with the women of Christmas, uh, of course. She's kind of one of the stars of that story. Uh, as a young woman, very young, 13 and a half, uh, 13 to 13 and a half at the very oldest, um, when Gabriel comes to visit her and says, you're going to be with child. And she says, be it done unto me, as you have said. So instantly we're amazed by this young woman of faith, of trust, uh, willing to be mocked and uh, possibly even stoned for being pregnant out of wedlock. Um, Right off the bat, I love her, and many, of course, millions have. Um, Then we go sort of forward through time in the Bible. I want every day of of everybody's life covered. That's really what I want. I want to know what Jesus did on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the whole of his life. Um, But that's not how it works for us. We uh, see her again when um, Jesus is a boy and disappears um, at the temple. Imagine that. You go for the Passover uh, with you know thousands upon thousands of other believers, you leave in a flock of people, and you know the interesting thing is she thought that um, that Jesus was with Joseph, and Joseph thought that Jesus was with her. Uh, sound at all familiar as parents when you're traveling with a whole bunch of people, um, and of course they get outside of town and realize Jesus is not here. He's not with us. What a panic for parents. We just so identify with what it must have been like for Mary. Uh, So they go back in, and, of course, they find him in the temple, and he seems so very comfortable there. And, you know, you should have known I would be here at my father's house. Um, He's 12. Hmm. So already um, Mary is experiencing something that she has been waiting for um, when Jesus was only uh, 40 days old, and she and Joseph took him to the temple. Um, a wonderful man named Simeon has steps forward and says um, to Mary, um, this is going to be difficult for you. A sword will pierce your own heart. That's a kind of a statement. It's, you know, would hang over your head the whole of your life. A sword will pierce your heart. How, when, where is that going to happen? It was going to be because of this son that she gave birth to. Um, I think about the fact, Susie, that nobody, nobody knew as well as she did who he was. Nobody else was there when she talked to Gabriel. Nobody else heard the prophecies from his mouth of who this man was going to be. Um, And so others discovered it over time, but Mary knew at the moment of conception what she was bearing, who she was bearing, and what his role would be. Um, And so she waited for this shoe to fall the whole of his life. Mm. Um, When, you know, when will this sword pierce my heart? 
So there was first that fearful experience when he was 12. Um, and then at a wedding in Cana, uh, which I describe a little bit in the book just to give us context about Mary, she would have had this experience where um, they're at a wedding and, G- and Jesus is there. Um, and they run out of wine, and she, I just love how she kind of wants to help solve things. It's so like a mom. Uh, you know, I have this son who can be helpful. <laughs> All I could think of is the time with, I was traveling with my family, and a woman was in desperate need for something, and we couldn't figure out what because she only spoke French. And my son had had like one year of college French. And I'm like, Matthew, Matthew, you can solve this. Go ahead. (laughs) Understand what she's saying and make this right. And he looked at me like, Mom, you know, I I don't have, I don't have the capacity for that. Well, of course, Jesus did have the capacity for that. Um, And uh, though he didn't want to reveal himself yet, um, he did honor his mother's request. And he did turn that water into wine. So back up, the, the because he says, woman, my time has not yet come. Yes. And right. you say that that, you know, we can look at that as such a harsh, disrespectful response, but indeed it really wasn't. Maybe talk about that a bit. Right. And uh, we always have to remember who's speaking. It's Jesus. And, of course, the word woman is a term of respect. We hear it as woman, but that's not how he would have said it. It would have been gentle and loving. And he is reminding her that she actually isn't in charge. (laughs) She may be the mom, but she doesn't get to call the shots. Um, How hard that that would be a a knife in my soul, I think, the first time my kids reminded me that they had a mind of their own, a life of their own, and didn't really need me. Um, And I think in a very human sense, that's what was going on for Mary at Cana, is Jesus reminding her, you're not in charge of me, Mom. That You don't get to pick when I do what. Those days are over. You know, um, i, I got to jump in. I have three grown sons, and I don't know why, but I always said to them when they were young, when they're going somewhere, be good, kind, and careful. Well, now the big joke with their adults, and I'll say that, and I'll go, turn around and say, you can pick two. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, you're grown now. Never mind. So, but anyway, what I love though with Mary is, you know, he puts her sort of in her place, but she still kind of has a bit of a pushback because there's some faith and some grit in her to tell the servants, do whatever he tells you. I want you to talk about yeah. that piece too. Yes. Well, that's right. Um, she, it's so delicately done. She puts it in his hands, do whatever he tells you, um, but she's also sort of put things in motion. He now has to tell them something. Um, and Jesus is always so generous. This is an issue at this wedding. It is a problem. Um, and Jesus, our problem solver, solves the problem. Um, imagine for those servants standing there, the lowliest of the lowly, but they get to see the miracle first. They get to look into the into the jar of wine and see that the transformation take place. Isn't it marvelous that Jesus would include them mm. in that? Let them see it happen first before anybody else did. Uh, there's just a preciousness about that. He always saw everybody. He saw women. He saw servants. He saw sinners. He saw prostitutes. He saw tax collectors. Um, he saw everyone, the blind, those who needed healing, uh, the lame, the outcasts. Um, He just never missed anyone, which for us reminds us he sees us too. Boy, such good news. 
Doesn't Lizzie just bring a Bible story to life? I just love her. Liz Curtis Higgs is our guest today. We get her on every month for Redemption Stories. We're unpacking her book each month, all the way through Lent, The Women of Easter. I don't know that I've ever seen a more gorgeous cover of a book. I just said this several times. Subtitle is Encounter the Savior with Mary of Bethany, Mary of Nazareth, Mary Magdalene. Email if you want in on the drawing, Susie, S-U-S-I-E, at MyFaithRadio.com. If you include your mailing address, you're automatically in on the drawing. When we come back, we're going to talk about this accumulated, accumulative hatred against Jesus by the religious leaders um, and how he handled it. Great conversation up ahead. Back in a minute. His kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Susie Larson. This is Of The Promise. Talking to our good friend Liz Curtis Higgs, best-selling author, worldwide speaker. She joins us every month to talk redemption stories, to bring Bible stories to life. And nobody does it quite like her. We've been walking through the different stories in her book, The Women of Easter, Encounter the Savior with Mary of Bethany, Mary of Nazareth, Mary Magdalene, talking Mary of Nazareth today. And I just want to give a shout out to her publisher, Waterbrook, who just fantastic publisher and so generous. Every month they've been sending us another three copies and another three copies so we can get these books into your hands. Email if you want in on the drawing, Susie at MyFaithRadio.com. So, Liz, if we could talk for a moment about this accumulating hatred against Jesus in this scene, um, where the religious leaders, they couldn't stand him. They tried to find fault with him, but even they couldn't agree. Their stories wouldn't agree with each other. But this ensuing chaos around him, I marvel at how he kept his wits about him and kept the main thing the main thing. Bring us to that place, if you would. Oh, my. I just have to tell you that in the writing of this book, uh, you know, you, we went through Mary of Bethany first. You and I chatted about her and the raising of Lazarus and, and all the things leading up to the end of Holy Week. And I found my writing just slowed down. I almost dreaded coming to the computer each day because I knew what was coming. Hmm. I knew that I was going to watch my beloved Jesus, an innocent man, be killed. And then what I had to keep reminding myself is, they did not take his life. He laid it down. Amen. They did not take it from him. They did not murder him. He laid down his life, uh, not just willingly, but willfully. And so, yes, he he began to be accused vocally. Uh, and the chief priest, the Bible tells us, Mark, Mark 14, 55, and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. They were looking for evidence. They they just wanted him dead, and so they had to figure out, how can we make this happen? But they didn't find any. A reminder of his innocence and his purity. They t- testified falsely, and their statements did not agree. That's not a funny line, but I have to say, watching that unfold might have been sort of amusing because you've got one person saying one thing, somebody else saying something else. They're not even in agreement with each other, let alone accurate about him. 
And of course, they got all wound up about the statement that Jesus made. Um, if you destroy the temple made with human hands, I in three days will raise it. Um, and they even misquoted that. And they said, he said, I will destroy this temple. Um, that's not what he said. Uh, and so once again, we get people twisting the word of God. It happens all through the Bible, right from the very beginning, when our first bad girl, Eve, chatted with a serpent. Uh, and he was quoting God and misquoting uh, and telling her things that weren't true. So these men, and sorry, really is men. These men are accusing Jesus. The Bible tells us Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. There's a part of me and a part of many of us who really would like Jesus to have raised his hand at this point and said, you are full of lies. But he's already made that point earlier. Now is the time for him to be quiet because he knows what is coming next. And he wants what is coming next to happen. That's perhaps the most amazing thing to me about Jesus is that he didn't refuse, he didn't fight, he didn't protest. He was quiet and led, as the Bible tells us, like a lamb unto slaughter. Hmm. But this lamb, with a capital L, this lamb walked willingly. And so the Bible tells us they all condemned him as worthy of death. Even though they had nothing to hold up against him, they just wanted him dead. It was his goodness, his perfection, his beauty, not physical beauty. We know that. The Bible tells us he was not physically beautiful to look at. Um, and he became less so the more time he spent with these people. First, the guards took him and beat him, blindfolded him, struck him with fists, and demanded that he prophesy. But he is silent. They said, the Bible tells us, many other insulting things to him. Thank you, Lord, that they didn't have to detail every one. We just know that they happened. Daybreak comes. It's Friday morning. And there's this amazing back and forth between Pilate, um, and he goes to see Pilate. Pilate says, I don't find anything wrong with this man. Then he comes to him again a second time. And Pilate says he's done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I'll just punish him and release him. And when I remember reading that in the Bible and thinking, yes, please, please do that. Please release him. But of course, that could never happen. We can't, we can't come up on Good Friday and say, oh, I wish I could just skip to Sunday. Good Friday has to happen, friends. Everything about our faith hangs on what happens on Good Friday. It also hangs on what happens Sunday, but you have to get through Friday. What I see happening, Susie, in the, in the church, and, and I understand it completely, is we're in Lent now, but people don't really want to think about Lent. They don't want to think about um, sobering things and serious things and giving anything up and thinking in terms of the sacrifice to come. We just really want to get to Easter. Um, in fact, often when I'll put a post online that is of a sober nature because of the season, people will say, oh, Liz, but, but Sunday's coming. Yes, it is. But we have to. 
we have to acknowledge the suffering. We have to be willing to go there with Jesus. If we say we love him, and we do, we've got to go there with him. One of the stories um, in this back and forth with Pilate that I think is so fascinating is in the book of Matthew. When Pilate is sitting on the judge's seat and his wife, ah, a woman, sent a message, don't have anything to do with that innocent man. Oh, I love that. So she acknowledges, there's a woman's voice coming into this insanity. Here comes a voice of sanity. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man. She says, for I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Oh, don't you want the details? What did she dream? What? How did God speak to her? And here she is wanting to jump in and stop her husband from doing something. Either he really loved his wife, and we hope he did, or believed in the power of dreams because he actually acts in her counsel, wanting to release Jesus. Pilate appealed to the crowd again, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time, he spoke to them. So we have three denials by Peter and three appeals by Pilate. And he doesn't understand what crime has this man committed. I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I'll have him punished and release him. He keeps trying to do that. But the Bible says their shouts prevailed. One of the things I thought about in the writing of the book was that crucify him, Susie, could you shout that right now in the studio? Could you mm-hmm. shout those words? Mm-mm. I mean, I couldn't even whisper them sitting at my desk. They stuck in my throat. That he who was without sin would be nonetheless sentenced to death. Part of me says, oh, Pilate, couldn't you have been stronger? But again, we have to remember, this is how it was meant to be. This was going according to God's plan. Imagine that. We think that God's plan is roses and everything right and all green lights and nobody gets sick, nobody dies, everything is great. But here's this story unfolding according to God's will and it is a painful story to read. We're going to pause here talking to Liz Curtis Higgs talking about the women of Easter, Mary of Nazareth, and about Jesus at the cross. When we come back, I want to just revisit the whole idea that the shouts of the people prevailed. We're going to unpack that a bit more. I've got three copies of Liz book, Lizzie's book, The Women of Easter. Email me, Susie at MyFaithRadio.com, and we will be back in a minute. song play out just hold on rescue has come god loved us so much that he sent his son boy talking to liz curtis higgs today about the women of easter and she writes you know during lent it's tempting to hurry toward easter morning eager to declare he's risen yes he certainly is she says but reminding ourselves what came before his glorious victory over death 
is how we remain humbled by his sacrifice and grateful for his mercy. And Lizzie, before the break, you were talking about how Pilate's wife, Claudia, Claudia, sent a message to her husband saying, I've had a terrible dream. Don't touch this innocent man and try as Pilate might to to appease the, the his anxious wife. The people would not be denied, and Scripture says their shouts prevailed. That gripped me as I was reading that in your book, and I was thinking, the shouts prevailed, and the Son of God was executed. And it feels like, it, you know, it looks like the devil had won, but God was never out of control. And I couldn't help but think, for the time we're in now, Lizzie, where it seems the shouts of the crazy crowd, they're prevailing. And I want you to make a case again that God is yet still in control, even though it seems like the world has gone mad. Well, we couldn't see a mad world more than the crowd that day in Jerusalem. All these religious people, the people who were supposed to know of a loving God, um, it's as if they went crazy, as if they lost all reason, as if a mob mentality took over. And on the sidelines, we we have to know that that Mary in particular would have been there. Um, Because she is at the cross, as we will see shortly, there's no way in my way of thinking that she wouldn't have been by his side as close as she could get through all of this. Um, You know, I don't think she was sleeping in saying, somebody call me when he goes to the cross. Mm -hmm. Nothing like that. This mother was there. Um, The Bible doesn't describe her being there. I'm very careful not to put people in scenes that that aren't described so in Scripture, Um, but Common sense tells us she had to be nearby. She had to be watching all of this, um, which, of course, hard enough um, to climb even into her shoes, let alone those of her son. But um, it does seem as if a blackness of an evil has fallen over the world when we look at what's happening right here. (sighs) We have to understand it was the will of God that. I, you know, you're asking me to explain something, Susie, that I can't explain because it looks contrary to everything we would think of is representative of God, of good, of light, of joy, all the fruit of the Spirit, all those wonderful gentleness, kindness. We're not seeing anything like gentleness and kindness here. But this is what it's going to take to pay for our sin. One of the things that that hits me most about the time that Jesus will spend on the cross, first a morning um, of torture, of flogging and spitting and hitting uh, and um, debasing in every possible way. Before we even get to the cross, he is a beaten man. Um, There's a tiny part of me that says, Lord, if he just had to die for our sins, Could that death have not been merciful, quick, a hanging, a sword through his heart, something quick that took his life on our behalf? And this is when you just have to stand back and marvel at who God is because that was not enough. His son had to suffer all morning long and then from about 9 till 3 hanging on a cross by the side of the road where everybody could see him, spit on him, walk past him, jeer him, chide him, do anything they wanted to abuse him. Um, He wasn't very high up. Um, We often picture a cross, you know, in the paintings and so forth. It's way high. But the reality is his feet would have only been about three feet up off the ground. So the total height of the cross, about nine feet. But 
that brings him much closer to the road, much closer to his mother and the other women at the foot of the cross. So they watched him suffer all of those six Mm. hours. Um, That sword that pierced Mary's heart, I think, was pressing in hard for a very long time. Six hours sounds quick. In six hours, um, you and I will both be asleep. (laughs) You know, six hours doesn't seem like much time until it's spent with nails in your body, hanging from a cross, um, just the weight, your body's weight hanging on a cross. There was a tiny sort of perch, um, but it it was not helpful. He couldn't lift himself up and be spared the pain. Um, Oh, Oh, the love. That love is out beyond, beyond. It's beyond anything we can ever get our heads around. That he was willing to suffer and die. Not just die, but suffer and die. That's how long it took to pay for the sins of the world. And you say we're not meant to rush past this. As hard as it is to read these stories, we are meant, they're meant to overwhelm us if only by his love for us. And uh, this is why we must not rush past this. He also made a really interesting observation about when they placed the crown of thorns on his head regarding Mary's spikenard. Say a word about that. Right. Well, um, it was just six days earlier that Mary of Bethany anointed him. Um, And though the Bible says she anointed his feet um, in the story, we also see elsewhere in the gospel she anointed his head. Um, and that's fine. She would have anointed all of him. Uh, that was how things were done. The head was usually first. And so Jesus still has that fragrant oil of spikenard, pure nard, in his hair. Um, you know, we think, oh, well, didn't people take a shower every day? Are you kidding? <laughs> they took a shower maybe once a year. You know, it was not uh, bathing except for ritual bathing. Um, but bathing was not a daily occurrence. And so this oil would still have been in his hair. And so when those spikes, those thorns pressed into his head, that fragrant aroma was released again. Mary of Bethany was still with him, as it were, even as that happened. Though we're not told that she was physically there in person, um, she was there um, in spirit. She was there. Her love for him was there nonetheless. It's. I have to tell you, you know, uh, the six hours of Jesus' suffering, at plus the morning time before that, um, I spent weeks upon weeks in those hours Um, It changes you, Susie, to be at the foot of the cross with Jesus, visualizing everything, seeing it, tasting it, smelling it, hearing it, touching it, imagining what's going on in the hearts of the women there, um, just trying to climb into that scene. Uh, It's sort of like watching the Passion of the Christ nonstop for days, (laughs) if you can imagine that. That's what it is. When we stand before the cross, simply reading about it in his word, it's hard. I wanted to be done with it quickly, and I can't believe Jesus didn't want to be done with it quickly. But it's the length of the suffering that speaks the loudest to us about his love. Wow. 
When I consider the way they treated him, you know, the spitting, the mocking, the torture, just the dishonor and the disregard and the, and the cruelty, and I consider losing my own selfishness that put him there, you know, it makes me wonder how any Christ follower could ever really struggle with pride or self-sufficiency. We do, but do you think it's because we're so quick to forget um, why Jesus needed to die in the first place? Because as you say, you get close to the cross, you spend some time. I, the only thing that it inspires is is sorrow, humility, gratitude, hope. I mean, just that mixture. But speak to that, if you would, because it, it's, it's a sad thing that we get far enough away from it that we kind of venture into our own pride and self-sufficiency. Right. Um, and and that is why the cross is our symbol. It's interesting when you think about the fact our symbol as believers in some ways ought to be an empty tomb, uh, a risen Christ, the um, happy, happy news. But the truth is it's the cross. It's the payment. It's, it's a reminder, a constant reminder of our sin. Um, and that is a hard way to live. Uh, most of us want to think of our sufficiency, as you said, our um, what we have done. I had an interview yesterday where she, a woman said, she was being very kind, but she said, could we talk about your successes? And I said, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, we can't. Next subject. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, no, I, you know, I don't even think that way. Um, you know, we can talk about the kindnesses of God for which I'm entirely unworthy, but hmm. – um, it's just interesting how that language comes even into the church of our successes. And um, this is the Savior we serve, who was about nothing about success. He was about um, submission. He was about sacrifice. Um, success to him was willingly um, making it all the way to the cross. Of course, we haven't spent time the night before in Gethsemane. When he so honestly prayed, if it be possible, let this cup pass. I love that the humanity of Jesus is very clear. Um, he didn't float into his sacrifice sort of above the pain, you know, just just uh, experiencing, you know, arms held out as God. Um, he could have done that, surely, shut himself out of the pain, um, but he doesn't. He embraces that pain. Um, and so, in a sense, we have to embrace it, too. Um, it is a constant reminder to us of the sins that he's paid for. Not so we can wallow in them, so we can rejoice in his sacrifice, so we can be completely humbled by it and eager to tell others, he died for you. He died for me. The payment has been made. It's a finished work. It's done. That is incredible. Mm. Best news that has ever been spoken is your sins are paid for. Um, so here we are. It's it's in the morning. He is hung, hung on the cross. And this is what blows my mind. His first words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So his first spoken word from the cross was father meaning at that moment he's still in communion with the father we know that will change later when he says father you've forsaken me but right now god is listening to his son and what's he doing he's praying for us he's saying forgive them they don't know what they're doing now those people would have said oh we know exactly what we're doing we're punishing you 
But that's not what was happening. They didn't know what they were doing. They were witnessing a redemption like no other ever. We're going to pause here. When we come back, I want you to pick up the story right where we just left off. Talking to Liz Curtis Higgs about her, the stories from Scripture, which she unpacks so beautifully. She writes like she speaks. Her book is The Women of Easter, Encounter the Savior with Mary of Bethany, Mary of Nazareth, and Mary Magdalene. Email if you'd like to be in on the drawing. My name is spelled S-U-S-I-E, Susie at MyFaithRadio.com. If you remember your mailing address, you're automatically in on the drawing. And we'll be back in a moment. Love that song. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Susie Larson. This is Live the Promise. Hope you're having a great day. We are having a fantastic conversation with our friend Liz Curtis Higgs, who joins us every month for Redemption Stories, talking about Mary of Nazareth, drawing from the content from Lizzie's book, The Women of Easter. And we're at this point now where Jesus is on the cross and he's abiding with the Father, still having fellowship, and he's praying for us. He uses this time after unfathomable torture, unfathomable cruelty. Um, I, we can't even fathom what this dear Savior of ours went through. But his words to the Father are, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Take the story from there, if you would, Lizzie. Mm. So everybody's standing around watching. And as I said, he's he is not very high up off the ground. Um, so they could have looked him in the face, as it were, without looking way up. He's, he's in sight, and that means also he could see them. Mm. And so this little refrain happens three times. If you are God's son... Save yourself. First, the rulers sneer at him and say that. He saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah. Then the soldiers make the same challenge. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Um, And then we have our criminals hanging on either side of him. One says, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. It's interesting, three, that holy number, three times, save yourself, That is not why Jesus was there. He was there to save us. So interesting that the challenge would be save yourself when, in fact, he is saving us by suffering on the cross. The other thief next to him, though, has a very interesting, brief, but important conversation. First, he says, don't you fear God? And so clearly he did fear God. He himself did and challenged the other thief. Don't you fear God? He says, we are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And so in two sentences, he sums up the whole of the gospel. We are sinners. We deserve death. This man is not a sinner, but he is going to pay for our sins. Just incredible. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's a refrain that we sing in our church. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus promises truly, I tell you today, you'll be with me in paradise. So even at that moment, Jesus is offering hope. He's offering hope to others. Even under his own suffering, he has the ability to think about other people, to pray for us, to promise this thief 
that um, that he's going to end up in paradise, that this day will end well. You know, God says the same thing to us over and over in his word. And Susie, I'm just going to say it. I'm, I don't know if I'm allowed to be frustrated, discouraged, um, concerned by a church that seems to think if you love God, everything will go well. Hmm. It troubles me, too. (laughs) Well, that's not what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. Um, Things did not, as it were, go well for Jesus. Um, And we have many wonderful believers among us who are suffering their own um, pain. Uh, I don't think anyone ever in history has suffered like this, but many losses, many things that are going on in our friends' lives. And the Bible says, why are you surprised at this? But we are. Sometimes we're surprised, discouraged, shocked, um, and we complain. Um, You know, uh, if God is a good God, why does he do something like this? Well, because he's a good God. And because he's God and not us. I think we try and put him into human terms, and he is... He's God. He gets to decide how the story goes. He so does. And we also, in our human terms, want the story to tie up in a nice bow in short chapters when life on earth is short and eternity is long. And I'm super strong about this as well because I feel like if we think it always should go well, when you've got somebody who's got a cancer diagnosis, you're going to step back and judge them saying, you know, you don't have enough faith. And truly that these criminals, you know, and even the, the the soldiers, save yourself. If you had, if you were this, you would have this. Well, we kind of say the same thing to people as if it's supposed to always tie up in a nice bow. And I, I had a mentor when I was a young mom battling my own sickness and she had throat cancer. She was a godly woman, not lacking any faith. And people were telling me if I had more faith, I wouldn't be a sick mom with three little kids. And I'm like, how do I get there? She once looked at me with fire in her eyes and she said, Susie, she said, God is sovereign. He's in control. And she said about her own sickness, she said, the Lord will take me when he gets more glory from my death than he does from my life. And it made my knees weak. And I thought, this woman is not lacking faith. And we somehow got to blow the doors off of tying everything in a nice little bow in our little tiny, narrow perspective, you know? It's the Hollywood ending. Yes. We want everything to go well. Um, and Jesus, you know, there, Hollywood couldn't deal with this story. Mm-hmm. You know, this this is a story only God could tell, only God could live through. And yet, what a blessing as we move uh, to the foot of the cross now to see who is there. There were people, human people, with all their fall, faults and foibles and, and all their failings. I don't know why I felt a necessity to have three F words, but anyway... <laughs> You know, that alliteration just sometimes happens all by itself. This does. <laughs> but, um, but these very human women who were there at the foot of the cross, they are amazing for even being there. We only have one of his disciples mentioned, and that's John, the beloved disciple. The other guys, Peter, the whole bunch, are not even mentioned when we are standing at the foot of the cross. John 19.25 says, Near the cross of Jesus, so she's close, stood his mother. I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine watching one of my two children die. Um, and I, I can't imagine if it were a case where, let's say, they were had a disease, they had cancer, or they were injured in an accident that was fatal. 
to see them lose their life would be hard enough, but to see them give their life, it's beyond, beyond. Her courage is incredible. Standing with her, her sister, not named here, but her sister is with her. There's something precious about that. I have two sisters, and um, we've had a, we've just had a tough three years. Susie, we lost all three of our brothers. Hmm. And I want to tell you that when when things get very hard, your siblings are who you hang on to. Um, they're family, even if you have times of arguments and whatever. This is still blood. This is family. Yeah. And so the sisters were together here. Uh, and then another Mary, so many Marys in the Bible. This is Mary, the wife of Clopas. Um, his claim to fame is simply being married to this courageous woman. And Mary Magdalene, my hero in the Bible. These these four named women are there, um, though the sister is not named. We know who she was, so she's just described to us. And Mary Magdalene, the woman delivered of seven demons. Um, she never left Jesus' side. It's no surprise that she's there. Um, she was there um, and will remain there all through the weekend. We will see her, as it were, Easter morning, which will be our next discussion finally in the next month. Mm-hmm. We get to focus on that resurrection, everybody's favorite story. Um, and I just, so I ask people's um, permission, uh forgiveness that we have to dwell on this difficult difficult morning Uh, but it's necessary it's necessary for us to remain grateful so noon until three darkness came over the land the women are still there jesus is still there darkness is there at the end of it at three in the afternoon jesus cries out uh eli eli lemma sabachthani which means my god my god why have you forsaken me? And so Jesus is alone, and I think this is the hardest point of all. Worse than the physical pain, worse than the mocking and the scourging and all of that is this moment for him when God has, by necessity, turned his back on his son. <sighs> Why have you abandoned me? And there's no reply from heaven. But he presses on. He says, I thirst. He's still aware of his physical body. And then he says, thank you, Jesus. It is finished. The work of redemption is done. His body does not have to suffer anymore. And he calls out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. There are sometimes... When we watch someone dying, we are grateful for that final breath. We have watched them struggle and suffer and fight and weep and beg and all the things we do as our life is draining from us. But finally, he breathed his last. And then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the world was torn in two from top to bottom. Mm -hmm. Oh, Susie, the earth shook and the rocks split and the tombs broke open. Mm. This is shocking to me. The tombs. Remind me, have you been to Israel? I haven't. And I want to tell you, we've got about... 
45 seconds, and I'm just like, oh, I want no, you to oh, have no. more time. Oh, my goodness. But the godly <laughs> dead rose, I mean, uh, amazing. Keep going. That's where we'll pick up. We'll just yeah. pick up right there because it's so incredible. Um, the pain is gone, my friends. Can can I pray? Yes, let's pray. And talk about what all this means for us. Oh, Lord Jesus, we see you lifted up on the cross. We stand with these women just feet away from you. We see the sweat and the tears and the blood and the suffering and the pain and the agony. Father, we still need to see that today and we need to say, for me. This was for me. And for all the people I love, this was his gift to the world. Lord, we have to be grateful. Help us be grateful. Help us be humble. And Lord, help us have such a desire to share this expression of love with everyone. Help us never give the message, come to Jesus and your life will be perfect. We need to say, come to this perfect Jesus who died for you and rose that you may have the promise of eternity. Wow. You've been listening to Live the Promise. I'm Susie Larson. We'll meet you back here next time.